And uh, hello, folks. Thank you for joining me in for another edition of the Mind of Magnus. Um, I am currently uh, joined today with the uh, amazing Tom Snyder, which will be joining in momentarily. Uh, I want to thank you all for joining me on your Independence Day. So I myself is having a great, relaxing weekend. I took some time to myself. I uh, worked in my yard, worked in my house. I uh, also went out and uh, went to some amazing parties with some very, very good Rochesterians. Um, this town definitely has a... Uh, a way of making me feel uh, happy and at home, uh, surrounded by amazingly good food. And I don't know if someone bumped up the game this past uh, year, but everyone's uh, barbecues to this year were that much better. I've had uh, amazing mix of foods from uh, coleslaws on top of things I never thought coleslaw should go on uh, to some great drinks that were from uh, actually a Korean family that brought in some super, super sweet peach drink that I'm drawing a blank of the name right now. So Judo, I think his name, name was called. Uh, but... We'll get the ball going and uh, turn the music down a bit. And let's see. Um, we're probably we are going to be uh, talking today about the wonders of animals in the city, the zoos, how our uh, nature really plays in around here, the diversity we have. Uh, and there's no one else I'd rather have talked with uh, than this uh, guest coming on soon. Uh, Tom Snyder is one of those guys that when, when you meet him, uh, you can't help but uh, appreciate a man who understands the uh, how weird and wonderful and also some sometimes simplistic life is uh, in the biology sense. Uh, I remember um, one of my fondest memories of this man is actually walking down uh, the trail over a turning point, walking towards the water, and I see a man uh, very excited carrying a very big camera up there. He was wearing, uh, I think, just simple clothes, but... Definitely had some, uh, I think he had waders on, if I can remember right. Maybe not, I don't know. In my mind, you have waders, I don't know, but probably not. Um, and uh, excitedly talking about the diversity uh, of the city and how it is in uh, up in the waters up there. Um, but uh, and like, the, the first time I had, first show I did, I, I rambled on for like 15 minutes. And, uh, and about uh, when the show was wrapping up with the first guest, I realized I wanted 15 minutes more to talk with him. And uh, last week's show was very similar that I had. I took less time to open up and to talk. Uh, and because I just wanted to get right into the guests, I want to hear what they're talking about, what they're you know, sharing with the world and uh, what differences they're making here. And uh, again, this is another one that, Tom, I'm just going to go right into this in a, in a bit here to uh, talk with you. Um, so, uh, so without further ado, I'm actually going to turn the microphone right on here and uh, welcome uh, Tom Snyder into the uh, studio here. Thank you. It's good to be here. And hopefully you're working. Yeah, try one more time. Same word. It's good to be here. Thanks. There you go. Yeah. All right. Technology. <laughs> hate to have a voice not heard. Yeah. Um, so, Tom, uh, I, first off, what is your title here? You... I am Director of Programming and Conservation Action for the Seneca Park Zoo Society. Nice. Hopefully, hearing stuff. Yeah. Um, now, how long have you been a part of the uh, part of the zoo? Uh, well, I've been a part of Zoo Society now. Uh, I'm in my second year. Uh, I was a zookeeper uh, for the county side. We're a public-private partnership. Mm -hmm. uh, so I started out with the county as a zookeeper and moved over a couple years ago to the Seneca to the Zoo Society. Oh, that's nice. Now you're uh, you've always been an animal fanatic. It seems like in the yeah. proper sense of the way. Yeah, I've worked uh, worked in zoos since I was. Uh, I, I think I started when I was twenty. So twenty. What now? Are you are you from? They <laughs> were going to ask me how old I was. <laughs> <laughs> I'm assuming you're only uh, twenty four, yes. <laughs> right? Yeah. Uh, unfortunately, I'm, I'm getting relatively close to forty. <laughs> I find uh, a lot of folks are they. they 
this seems to be the magic age of people that want still want to you know make big differences and are doing real differences. I've been very fortunate with people on this show so far have been at about our age bracket and doing amazing things. Now you're one of the ones that have always impressed me from the time I saw you walking up at Turning Point talking about you know animals and what's happening in diversity to uh, fortunate enough to sit down with you have a beer at, uh, at Skylark yeah. there. Um, you're a man that has a vast uh, background in uh, in animals, but you're relatively. I mean, yourself you're self taught where you started from. You were yeah yeah yeah. I uh, I actually didn't finish college, um, so I'm one of the very few that are um, at a director level in a zoo that don't have a, a formal you know bachelor's or master's degree. Mm-hmm. But you've been in this industry, you know, this sort of field because of your passion from the get go. Oh yeah. Like, yeah yeah. Like, like I said, twenty. Uh, 20 years old was my first zoo job, and I worked uh, in a pet shop for a couple of years, two or three years before that. So I really, uh, it, that's kind of a commonality with people that really, truly uh, have a passion for wildlife is at some point in their life, um, pet shops played a role, whether it was, you know, running away from mom while she was shopping to go <laughs> look at things or uh, getting a job in, in one. I completely agree. I'm a, as some people may not know, I'm actually a biology nut myself. I, I enjoy the diversity this planet has. And I'm as the closer I ever get to religious experience sometimes is wondering and the amazement of the animals I see, either locally too. I mean, there's Absolutely. stunning things here. Uh, but uh, now, when let's, I'm going to go right into this topic because this is one of the coolest things that our Rochester has been a part of. And as I described originally, you're walking up from Turning Point. Right. Uh, you're coming up there and you're excitedly telling me about the uh, one cubic foot. Uh, right. The, now, this is a National Geographic uh, project? That No, no. The, uh, the photographer that created the project is a Na- National Geographic photographer. Okay. Um, how I understand it was, is David Litschwager... Uh, who's the photographer, um, he came up with this idea to, to measure biodiversity in a small space. Mm-hmm. You know, if you, if you listen or read any Edward O. Wilson, and, and you know, the, most of the world's biodiversity is, is the small animals, things that we can't even see with our naked eye. Uh, so David had this, this great idea of um, collecting and monitoring and collecting this one cubic foot space, something that fits in your lap, and using that as a lens to see, you know, how much biodiversity is in an area. Mm-hmm. Uh, so we, uh, Pamela Reed Sanchez, the executive director of the Zoo Society, and I called David uh, to see if we could use some images and, and uh, uh, a few other things. And uh, instead of just selling the images to us or the rights to the images, he knew the story of the river being, um, you know, a photographer and knew, knew Kodak and some of the other industry that had been in the river or alongside mm-hmm. the river and knew the story. Uh, so he you know, said right off the bat, let's, let's come replicate one cubic foot. Uh, so I imagine it was shortly after that is when I saw you because we really went out running around looking for the proper space for the for the cube. And you were very, very excited. And you were trying to describe a cube that's going to be in the river. And I was trying to catch up with it for a bit. And right after that, I, I went and you luckily gave me enough information to go start Google searching it myself and, and fell in love with the concept. I mean, uh, now describe the, if describe the concept like what like sure yeah so so as i said it's it's really a lens mm-hmm. um and the reason that david chose one cubic foot is because it's small enough that it can fit in your lap and if we can create a connection between the small space and look at how much biodiversity uses this small space you know you can extrapolate that 
across the world if you want to. Yeah, and people can understand, like, it's if it's smaller than your arm's reach right in right. front of you, you kind of get an understanding of size. It's not yeah. like this grandiose scale of a river or an ecosystem. This is a snapshot of a three-dimensional space in, in time. Right, and it's, it's, uh, it, it's representative of what we'll use that space in a day and a night. Um, you know, so there, it's a long process. It's a drawn out process to find because you really want to look for the best possible one cubic foot space and for, for each zone is probably there's different rules or uh, ideas for where the one cubic space may be. Now this is global concept, right? Yeah. Uh, we were, well, I think we were the 11th or 12th space that, that David had, uh, recreated the project. Mm-hmm. Uh, the book one cubic foot that, that David published, uh, I think through Chicago university press, um, followed five of those areas and they were areas like Costa Rica, um, Tennessee, San Francisco, South Africa, um, French Polynesia, you know, so these are, these are areas, uh, Central Park was another one. So there were areas really? that, that either were impacted by humans or are, you know, in the traditional sense, a high biodiverse area. Hmm. Nice. Now, uh, being number 11, I mean, that's still relatively early on. That's seems uh quite high i mean any reason why are the roster just because of i mean the the team you guys working on it being excited bringing it in or is does the biodiversity of our area warrant such you know notoriety or no well you know i don't think that the biodiversity really was a lure at first and Mm -hmm. and i'll say we did uh the cornhill arts festival will be there again this year uh Mm -hmm. with photos of what we found Mm -hmm. last year we went there just as um you know, just to get the word out and do a little guerrilla marketing. Uh, and I will tell you that the public perception is that that's a dead river. Mm. And I was tremendously worried going into this project <laughs> about the day before that David showed up that, you know, that, that we weren't going to find anything at all. So you yourself were wondering oh, and yeah. worried. And so luckily, you know, not to give anything away, it's not a dead river. We actually have life going on in this here. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, You know, we have all of our data back. Uh, Mm -hmm. We're working on our final report that we'll share with everybody and and the data that we'll share. Um, I believe that we had um, 216 specimen that, that we took from the cube and 126 of those were individual species. And then about 17 or excuse me, um, yeah, seventeen were new to science, new to the bold database. So while they weren't new to science, um, the bold database is a barcode of life database, which is an online repository of genetic uh, information. Mm-hmm. Uh, so each of the invertebrates that we take, you take a small piece of of flesh or, or some genetic material, send that off, it gets synthesized, and then the graphic representation comes back, almost like a barcode when you go to Wegmans or, or you know, any any store. And those individual barcodes are uh, individual for that species. And uh, there's somewhere, um, I think there's probably about 5 million uh, plants and animals in the barcode of life database. And uh, we, or, we uh, added 17 new animals. That's amazing. That's awesome. Yeah. Uh, if you're just tuning in right now to uh, WRFZ LP Rochester, 106.3 FM, uh, Rochester Free Radio, this is Mind of Magnus, and I am having Tom Snyder in uh, talking biodiversity, uh, one cubic foot, and uh, Rochester zoos, and all sorts of other amazing biodiversity happening in this city, and the culture itself, I think, seems like. Uh, so thanks for tuning in, um, and uh, we, if you want to check out our show, if you... Uh, uh, are listening to it and you want to catch more of it later, uh, we have it on rosterfreeradio.com. Uh, the archive is up. There was a little bit of a glitch la- last week, um, but uh, this week it should be on and going. 
Uh, hopefully, I'll have another friend of mine recording it as well for me, just to be on the safe side. Um, but uh, Tom, thanks for tuning on, tuning in here, and, and talking to us. Um, so, one cubic feet. Now, now this is a describe the what actually the one cubic foot is. The device we're talking about is, is you know it, it's um it, it can be an engineer it can be anything that's one cubic foot when okay. it comes down to it. Um, what we're looking to do is make it accessible. So mm -hmm. there's things, you know, you can, you can purchase aluminum tubing, uh, copper wire and create your own. Um, we've partnered one, one of the other partners on this with this was the, uh, Smithsonian Institute. Okay. And the Smithsonian has this great repository of information on how to create your own cube and, and, um, do it. It's part of, it's called the curious website. It's, uh, I think it's Q U R I O U S. Nice. Net. And this is for um, kind of the, uh, uh, like do it yourself. Yeah, the citizen science yep. they're calling those. Yep. That kind yeah, of motion. and and um, all of all of the things that you find, you put up on iNat, which is iNaturalist.com. It's mm -hmm. a it's a little app. I would suggest everybody here do that. It's a great way to uh, to monitor some of the biodiversity that's around in your backyard. You and snap a picture with your phone and upload it. That's and amazing. And what's the app again, so people it's notice? iNaturalist. iNaturalist. Yeah. Ask the all-knowing Google or check. Uh, iTunes or one of those app places you get this stuff from. Uh, help out science, get this stuff happening here. Um, so th this is really cool. Now you're mentioning the uh, with the one cubic foot, it was a day and night cycle, like 24 yep. hours. That's yep. the, the, so uh, when you're, so we have 24 hours and our one cubic foot took place in where exactly here? It in was on the uh, northeast side of Turning Point Park mm -hmm. towards what's called Rattlesnake Point. So that kind of big, big long winding path, it's that one to your right as you're heading north, right? That is, you can kind of yeah, see it to your you, right hand side? Yeah, if you side. go over the walkway yeah. in Turning Point, it's off to the right. Um, nice. If you get out of spotting scope, you can see there's a couple pylons uh, to the right of, a, or to south of the willow tree. Uh, and it was actually placed right in between there. And uh, according to David, it was the first place where there was really human encroachment uh, really? or industry i should say right. um, and and did, so did that space live up to what he was gonna expect not expect i mean like this they be a full bio geek right now let us know <laughs> like we, we have a cube there animals walking in and out of it where like you, what, what sort of animals were captured i want to hear everything well you this. got you, you got to take a step back and and see really why we why we conducted it you okay. know and, and we wanted to be able to tell the story of the river through the biodiversity no matter what we found, mm -hmm. you know. Um, so in that sense, if we didn't find anything, that would tell a story as well. Yeah. Now, that's not the story that any of us want, for sure. Um, you know, that, but yeah. I, I can still remember the first little, uh, um, you know, cup cup or two of water that came out of that. It was filled with maybe like 500 amphipods, mm -hmm. which are scuds. They're these little lawn shrimp or, you know, um, whatever you want to call them. And, and um, they can be both good and bad. So we had a couple species that, that were good, and then we had a couple species that were invasive. Mm -hmm. And then we had another species that was tolerant to pollution. You know, so even in that very first little cup of water that we took out, we had a story developing on, on the river. And, um, you know, when you really look at those 126 species or so that we found, we found good, we found bad, and we found ugly. Um, you know, and, and, and which is Rochester in itself, I think, <laughs> yeah, right? exactly yeah, yeah. right. Um, you know, so there's there's some things, there's some snails that live there where we found it that that are tolerant to to pollution because they're air breathing snails. Oh. So you know that they can live somewhere that the other things can't. Um, mm -hmm. There's leeches there, but there's not some of the the bad leeches that that are in pollution. 
You know, um, there's caddisfly larvae, which any of the trout fishermen that are listening know is is a, a great food source and, mm-hmm. and bait for trout, you know, and, and caddisfly larvae uh, on the whole need a, a very good dissolved oxygen. Uh, and, and, you know, so we, we really were able to tell the story that, that we had good animals there in addition to some of the stuff that we didn't really want. So the, the, the biodiversity doctor saying everything's okay, we're not nervous, we're, I mean... There's still some impairment, you know, there's, it, it's a lot deeper than the, the biodiversity. For us, that's how we connect people. Mm-hmm. You know, at the zoo, we're going through a new mission and, and kind of a rebranding, and, and um, we're really striving to become a conservation organization. So in order to do that, we need to be able to go out in our backyard and really assess what's there and tell a story of what's there. Mm-hmm. Uh, and in doing so, we really paralleled a lot of what the EPA and Department of Health and the DEC is saying about the river. And that is that, that even though you know it was tremendously uh, um, polluted decades ago, it's starting to come back. And um, we have these these things that the EPA calls uh, BUIs or, or BIUs, um, impairment use uh something it is it's it's impaired use of the river and there's about um there's around a dozen of them that had to be checked off the list and they're starting to get checked off the list and theoretically when everything's off from those lists and and we're back then that means that the surrounding area that the the river's just as good as the surrounding area that's awesome Um, does the river show uh, because things are moving through it does it is it um uh, quicker to you know fall apart, get get better. Is there a, a healing aspect of it faster for rivers since things are flushing through? Well, there's just... been a lot of remediation. Oh, you know? okay. um, so I th- I think that based on some of the meetings that I've been in, what what we're seeing now is that there's more of the agriculture stuff is showing up from downstream, mm. um, or from upstream. I'm sorry. Yeah. Um, south upstream, <laughs> yeah, south. Just... You know, <laughs> only us in the Nile River can say <laughs> right. this sort of stuff, right? Um, you know, so, so you have some things like organophosphates, mm-hmm. uh, you know, some of the dams collect some of those things. So there's what we're, what we're looking to do now is while we looked at the lower Genesee, which is really part of that EPA area concern, the, the northernmost seven miles of the river, mm-hmm. uh, we're really starting to look at the river as a whole. So we're looking to replicate one cubic foot all the way down to, you know, uh, Southern New York. Oh, that's awesome. Yeah. That's amazing. Now, the, the coolest thing was uh, One Cubic Foot also had this really great component with, uh, you went, like, there was art involved for this part, too. Uh, there was balloon sculptures made for the One Cubic Foot with uh, origami yep. at, at uh, was it Sibley? Building? Sibley building, building? yeah. Uh, where I was exposed to the photos for the first time, too. We had a table sitting there, and I was amazed at the photography of, the, it, now, the species that you capture, those who... You should look at this online the moment you know get done with the show. Don't do it right this minute because you know keep listening, keep listening. But um, it is the photographs are are stark white backgrounds. There's nothing else except for the 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 creature itself. Yeah, and it is lit to the point of it just draws you in. It seems like it's. Like, I actually have one of the um, the small piece of paper with the ad for it sitting in my and the spider on there. And I bet you four or five people think it's a real spider for a bit. <laughs> it's the reason it's sitting there, of course. But you were tied in with them and you rose awareness. And I watched people from 90-year-olds there uh, looking at the photos to the kids, equally excited about what they saw. And you said there's there's flies. There is small 
like very like look like flatworms, leeches, yeah, everything, caddisflies, everything. Um, so that was my first experience, you know, yeah, of seeing the photos finally and interacting with balloon versions of those cubes, right. which I thought was a very clever idea. Uh, and you moved into doing artwork. There was an was an opening, I guess, at the uh, Rutcher Art uh, Contemporary Art you know, Roco. Roco yeah. yeah, I just call it Roco. I was trying to put the full name in. I should just say call Rutcher's Roco. A contemporary. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah, is that Roco? Yeah, Blue <laughs> will be okay with it. It's called Roco. So, um, and you had an amazing event there. Uh, yeah. and you brought in. Can you tell a bit about that? Like the people sure. that were there. Yeah. It. You know. It's. Um, I will say, it, working in zoos my entire life, it was all about science for me. It, mm-hmm. it really, truly was. Um, when when Pamela came on board as executive director, she really started talking about art and and how that could open up the uh, open up people's eyes and create a connection in a way that, that you know just regurgitating data couldn't do. Um, and I I will say I was probably a hard sell on it until uh, until the Cornhill Arts Festival last year where we had the book and the images and, and a four-year-old girl walked up and started naming the starfish and the, the pufferfish. And, and then right over her shoulder, a 90-year-old lady came up and, and instantly was drawn to it. And, and I can remember that moment where it just all clicked for me, that the art really, truly does open the door uh, for people. Um, I'm, I'm tremendously excited about the future with the zoo and, and with the things that we're going to do with art because we're gonna, we have more things coming over the next few years. Nice. Um, you know, so once, once you really look at it, art and, and its place and, and tied to, to science, uh, this project makes a lot of sense because when those, that DNA and genetic material gets uploaded, all that data to the BOLD system, we attach a very good photo. As you said, it's, it's an animal. It's isolated. It's on a white background, um, and it's a true white background. I mean, that is pure white. Uh, mm-hmm. They spend a lot of time figuring that out, and David has has really pioneered that technique. It, it's stunning uh, what it is. It, you, it is uh, this great line of uh, my, the pure scientist in me loves it because it's a snapshot of the animal. There's nothing you can't fake anything about it. It's just <laughs> straight there what it is, and the artist in me loves it because it is the capture of a. a, a creature that exists right here right now in a moment in, in time a moment yeah. in time i mean and different you can see there's some adult animals in there there was like larval stages yeah. um it really was a, a true un like filtered view of something that you're you're offering us and the, so the books were there and they were, you were offering photos too you can buy sure. the prints at, and they're at, for sale uh, still in the zoo shop oh nice yeah. so yeah. yep. oh perfect uh, so definitely go there, check them out, support them, buy those pictures. They are great. They're great uh, stocking stuffer for Christmas. Remember that sort of stuff or uh, Independence Day gift. Whatever you want to do is just buy some money, help these you know, folks out. Got to sell some images of flatworms, man. <laughs> <laughs> never think, you'll never expect to hear that, but definitely works in this scenario. So um, so we have uh, Rochester as a location for the one cubic foot. We said there was 12, you know, 11 or so. Uh, and you were part of this one, and you were recently were on another aspect of this as well. And where did that take yeah, you? Yeah, we we did uh, Genesee in August of 2015, and then in uh, November, December, we got this hairy-brained idea to take it to Madagascar. Oh, Madagascar! Um, yeah. <laughs> so um, our zoo and our our docents at the zoo have have done this tremendous job of supporting. Uh, the work of Dr. Pat Wright, who's out of Stony Brook University. Uh, and she, for the last 25 years, has been working on creating Renamafana National Park, mm-hmm. which is in the southeast side of Madagascar. And um, she created this wonderful field station called Century Vale Bio um, and has about 
41,000 hectares, so so a little over 80,000 acres of uh, of this property that is, uh, you know, intact forest in Madagascar. So we went over, um, I believe it was May 20th, uh, and I got back June 7th or so. So I spent somewhere around three weeks. And uh, the same team that was in the Genesee went with us. So we had David and his assistant. Uh, we had Chris Meyer from the Smithsonian Institute, who's an invertebrate zoologist uh, curator down there. Uh, and we had Sarah Tweed, who's who's another scientist from the Smithsonian, come and assist. Well, that is amazing. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, the, just to get the generic part here, like uh, Madagascar, like, what's it like? I mean, I've never been. Um, you know, you, you read, everybody hears that deforestation is a problem. Mm-hmm. And I will say that, uh, you know, the hair stood on my arms for hours on end driving from uh, Antonarivo, which is in the kind of north central area of the of the country down 10 hours to where we were going uh, i did not see any chunk of forest that was more than maybe five acres really yeah it was it was really uh it was, it was sobering <laughs> you know to say the wow. least i i did um, not realize i mean i've heard it and now it's, it's hard to tell you know you can never tell if it's just like hyperbole you know yeah like no, it's, it's, it's being, really like that really now was it uh a solid forest originally i mean before yeah it from from the things from what i've read or heard uh 95 percent of the land was was forested two thousand years ago wow. uh so you were looking at a very rapid deforestation and um when David and Pamela rode down separate than us and David counted 120 fires on the way down. So it's still actively going. Um, when, when I inquired to what they were still burning down for, uh, a lot of it's for to develop essential oils. So, yeah, so they take small saplings and, and other things and, um, uh, take that over, boil it down, get the oils out of it and then export it illegally. Uh, so that seems to be, at least word of mouth in country, that's one of the biggest issues. Wow. Um, lots of rice paddies, you know, so uh, terracing the land is still mm-hmm. uh, very prevalent. Uh, is so it an overly hill, hilly land? I mean, oh, is yeah. It? Yeah, it's mountainous. Okay. Okay. Volcanic and, okay. and mountainous, yeah. Nice. I, I kind of assumed it, but I, like I said, I, the, I've only seen a handful of photos, and I never can't tell if that's... The... I've got a whole bunch, so we'll hang out some <laughs> <mine>. <laughs> Yeah, you actually had some stunning photos. I mean, uh, actually, where, photos, where can we see uh, more information about, like, the Madagascar trip or the one Q? Madagascar, we're still waiting on some of the science. Okay. Um, we will be at Cornhill again. Uh, I think that's two weeks from now. Yep, Cornhill. Nice. Do you, do you um, have, uh, just look for you. Do you guys know roughly where your booth may be? Or, is um, that, or just the... Ask, I, check yeah, I don't remember. <laughs> You're asking me. It's it's two weeks before. I don't know what's going on. Two weeks yet. <laughs> well, definitely check it out. Those going to the Cornhill. Uh, I, I believe we're at Nathaniel Rochester School. We're across the street again. Oh, from perfect. Then, so that's awesome. Uh, and uh, so, if you want, what's the website? Just to, for the other stuff too. SenecaBarkZoo.org. Nice. Perfect. 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 Um, actually, uh, well, it actually maybe tie into the good one here. Uh, if you, the the zoo is um, one of the things that I loved growing as a child, and uh, it definitely became um, I don't know, kind of an awkward as you get older people suddenly became kind of negative against zoos and which is weird because I, mean, I remember watching like you know Sesame Street I always had videos of guys working with the animal elephants in the zoos and just you know discussing stuff um, but as I don't know if people they, they, like the internet was posting random memes of just you know things that weren't ac- accurate or true or something else um, I would like to bring up the topic go right into the topic of the zoo and uh, just blatantly ask why do we need zoos and I think you'll be the guy to ask about this yeah. um, but so if you're just tuning in right now uh, this is uh, WRFZLP Rochester 1063 FM Rochester Free Radio you're listening to the Mind of Magnus 
And uh, my guest is Tom Snyder uh, from the uh, Rochester Zoo here, member of the Zoo Society. And uh, your title again, sir? Director of Programming and Conservation Action. Nice. That's a great title, by the way. I think that's a... <laughs> it's what, a what, mouthful. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I imagine the, the, the 12-year-old you is pretty happy with that title. Yeah, you know, it's. Uh, we, I just spoke to a family friend over the holiday that I saw, and, and she just said that you've lived a fascinating life, you know, and, and it's. Uh, it, I've been very lucky to follow my passion my entire life. So it, I find out as I get older, not very many people get that chance. Now, that's the reason I wanted to have you on here. Like, I was a biology person, and much like you said, being at pet shops and stuff. Like, mm-hmm. I got into biology because I was in a pet shop, and they had fish in a fish tank that didn't, ha- didn't have a, la- a scientific name, like some of the catfish. They're like L3176. I'm like, what's that name? They're like, well, it's not been cataloged yet. Like, yeah. Yet I can buy this animal, keep it in my house. Ha- I was I got into like puffer fish and things like mm-hmm. that, and there was no care sheets for them. I didn't add like how do you care for this animal? Like, well, we think it likes this. And like, does is there a paperwork on it somewhere? And of course, there was, and so I I found, you know, there's a passion that you get as a younger age, but eventually you get kind of ground down. You seem to want to you definitely want to push back, fight back, and keep going because you understand you are making a difference in not just you but in the 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 way the zoo should be perceived and eventually how animals can be saved and such. So um, I just want to bluntly ask, you know, so why do zoos exist? We're 2016. Some people are going to argue saying zoos are just boxes with animals in them. They should be out roaming the the countryside. So why do you think? Sure. You know, we, we, we truly exist to to conserve animals and and the ecosystems that they live in, Mm -hmm. you know, and it really truly is that simple. Uh, Your story about the fish that wasn't cataloged, you know, that was, um, that was common practice for zoos, you know, in the, in the 50s, 60s, 70s, and 80s, you got things that you had no clue what they were, or a shipment came in, and, and there were lizards that nobody had ever seen before, you know, so to, to think about that on that scale, where there's hundreds of zoos in the U.S. and, and collections, you know, at that point in time, they were menageries. Mm-hmm. Uh, they truly were. Uh, it was see how many species and how many animals we can cram into this property. Well, I remember even uh, Sir Attenborough. I mean, he his first TV show he had was actually him getting animals and bringing them back to the London Zoo, I believe. Yeah, Atari. Think old John Wayne. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Oh. And I mean, who wouldn't love to sit on the front of a Jeep and lasso a rhino? You know? <laughs> <laughs> my dream, my dream. Uh, but it definitely seems like we've now replaced this, you know, that adventurer capturing of animals to biologists who are documenting this world we live in. And you seem, it seems like the zoo is, is at the forefront of this. You guys. Yeah, you know, we have a new mission and vision at the zoo uh, mm-hmm. that we adopted um, maybe about a year ago. And, mm-hmm. and the mission is, is simply to connect, care, and conserve. You know, um, the wonderful thing about zoos is that you can go to that facility or that campus or, you know, whatever you want to call it and, and see things that you can't see anywhere else. Mm-hmm. Right. So that, that's your doorway. Um, now, my job is, is director of programming. Conservation action is, is truly that. I link up conservation actions to programming on site. You know, so it really is my job to, um, for lack of a better term, justify the zoo. You know, we look... Uh, in our own backyard and, and internationally at what we can do. Uh, we have this wonderful Genesee River Valley, you know, right in our backyard. Uh, then we also work in Borneo, the Arctic, Madagascar, South Africa. Uh, you know, we, we work all over the place, uh, really trying to tell the story of the biodiversity that's in that area. Um, and, and one thing that, that as you graduate or grow from, from just looking at a collection or, or an entertainment facility, into education and, and empowering people to act on behalf of wildlife, you know, you really see um, 
some of the issues that we have uh, look extremely complex, but you really, they're not as complex as they look. You know, in Borneo, we work with a, uh, Dr. Wyatt, our, our head of veterinary science uh, and, and conservation, goes to Borneo all the time to work herd health with goats. <laughs> you know, and and on the outset, you look at that and you go, geez, what are you traveling all the way to, to you know, make sure that the herds of goats are healthy? But what they do is is by having healthy herds of goats, then they provide an income source for the for the widows that don't have any other income source. And all of a sudden, you take the heat off from you know needing to cut down a tree in order to get some money for healthcare. Um, and, and health mm. and harmony, which we've supported for a long time in the last five years, has dropped logging sixty eight percent in the wow. places that has this goats for widows program. Um, you know, so you take this one health approach and, and one ecosystem, you know, and it, it's not all that different than what's going on in Rochester here. You know, you do what's best for the area and, and you always have that in your mind at the outset and, uh, and the good stuff just starts happening cause you're doing it for the right reason. Nice. That is amazing. Uh, it's, it's funny how you can fit, you know, add one thing like those, you know, taking care of, of goats here, you know, it's like the butterfly effect, but with, you know, logistical real things, not just like, you know, um, so now you are. Uh, now how long have you been part of the, uh, the zoo here? This, this I've one? been on the zoo society in my I'm in my second year. Nice, nice. Um, uh, so the uh, what the the three the the C's in there. What was it? The uh, connect, care, conserve. Connect, got, care, conserve. I like got that. it memorized. Yeah, I see that. I was nervous I was gonna have them backwards. Something else. Like, but I guess it, probably the, the tone still conveys it, right? But connect, care, conserve. Um, now what? So connect. You guys are doing an amazing job connecting. I have seen more. Uh, uh, conversations of talking about zoo in the past year and a half than I think I had in the past 10 years, barring some sort of either like people complaining about the zoo or something else. But this this typical sort of, you know, just all zoos are bad. This is the closest zoo they can complain at. And I've seen people now coming back to to zoos here, uh, to Rochester Zoo. I have friends from Buffalo that come out because they enjoy our zoo so much. So what steps have been happening at the zoo it seems like you guys have really make making some changes and there's like growth happening as well yeah. right yeah well there you know you, in the zoo industry you always want some sort of growth and some sort of change on the physical campus uh we are undergoing right now a, a massive uh transformation really uh mm-hmm. where we're rebuilding roughly the front third of the zoo over the wow. course of the next 10 years um and it's really you know the the main building at the zoo is is aged it was built in 1931 and that goes back to those those time periods that we were just talking about where you kind of crammed in animals and got as many in um our staff has done a wonderful job at at creating the the habitats as large as possible and giving as much room but we've really lived the life that we can with that building um you know so we're we're ready for some transformational uh building there and it's really all about uh the same you know connect care conserve uh Mm -hmm. and create ecosystems um you know so i don't i don't have any specifics on what we're going to build yet but there's some master plans that's available on the website and and um and it seems like moving forward, you you're definitely striking as getting more of a community, you know, presence and understanding in that. Oh, yeah. Uh, how how do you feel? Like what's the steps that you know myself as a person who's not part of the zoo? What can I do to make this better or easier for you guys? Just you know, what do you think? Should I bring people in? Being like, yeah, yeah. just come come to some events. You know, is is a great first start. Uh, yeah. it, at every event, at Zoo Brews now, which is a tremendously successful as far as getting people to the zoo. Mm-hmm. Uh, we're doing more where where people can opt into things. We're doing some tours of the the elephant barn now. Mm-hmm. Um, we have our interpreters on site that can have those conversations with people. 
uh, you know, at our zoo brews about elephant conservation, uh, where in the past we haven't really had that. So we're just, we're, we're getting better at telling our story. Um, Larry Sorrell, the, the director of the county side, um, you know, he, he likes to say that we've, we've been conserving and doing that for a long time. You know, we were uh, releasing otters in, in the 90s and sturgeon in early 2000s. I think that probably what we haven't done uh, very well is tell our story. And for the last, uh, you know, year and a half or two years, we've really been focused on what those star stories are, how we can tell them to the local community, and, and how we can uh, allow the community to take part in creating their own story. Nice. And that, that's what the, the stories are key. They connect you to your world, the, the zoo, the city itself. Um, and, uh, and also, it seems great with uh, like you said, the app you were mentioning before, somehow tying in. You know, you are a part of the bigger picture now as well. You, you know, can, I, yeah, it's that ecosystem approach. You mm -hmm. know, it's, it's not just about me, me, me. Um, you know, if you, uh, if you notice that, you know, you're putting your lawn clippings out into the road and they're going down the storm drain, you know, ultimately that goes out in the river. Mm. So if you're fertilizing your lawn, uh, there's a whole bunch of things that are very easy, uh, one person type individual actions and, and we'll be really focusing our programming around that coming up now. It always seems to me that if you want to have the best you know, understanding of how to take care of the environment, either ask someone like you, very knowledgeable, or also five-year-olds or yeah. seven to ten-year-olds. So do you ever notice, why does it seem that children, kids seem to connect to this concept that makes sense to me, but it seems like we forget it after that? Do you have a... Yeah, you know, I, well, <laughs> I don't know how deep you want to get. I, you know, I think I think there's a lot lost in childhood when you start to grow a little bit older. You know, mm -hmm. if you don't draw a line the right way, then you're not an artist anymore. Mm -hmm. um, it, it's the same kind of thing. You know, you, as I said, I, I'm one of the the lucky few that have truly followed my dreams and passion. And and you know, I can remember last year my father finding an old uh, report card of mine where they wanted to hold me back because my desk was messy. You know, so I, I think that that dreamer kind of uh, mentality kind of gets beat out of you a little bit and I just m might have pushed back a little bit harder than most people you know uh, so you just find your inner child you, you find what your passion is uh, you know and, and go after it if you love going to the beach then spend an extra 10 minutes take a bag up and clean it up nice. you know, it's not, like not a big deal that's probably and probably the reason why you uh, have attained the title you have is you don't back down you see me very much <laughs> keep moving forward um, uh, and so uh, I actually had a question I was going to ask you. I'm, I'm going to ask it now just to get this out of the way. It's been in my back of my brain and everything oh else. Boy. <laughs> no, it's a simple one, actually. I was going to ask you how many uh, how many scars you have from oh, animals that's, here. You know, yeah. that's not a very easy one. Uh, <laughs> it's, you know, it, it, let's see. I did Zookeeper for 15, 16 years. Um, worked pretty much everything you can imagine from crocodiles. Uh, so I've, been, I've, I've got a pretty good monkey bite that went through my hand. Uh, it's, <laughs> you know, you don't, you don't ever want that stuff to happen. And I will say that at every moment that, that happened, it was my fault yeah. for sure. Yeah, um, definitely. It's uh, difficult dealing with animals. They don't, they don't tell you what they're going to do. And they're, their language predictably is unpredictable. <laughs> exactly. So now all animals are amazing, but you must have an animal that you kind of like drift towards. You have like a top, maybe top five animals you may like or top uh, in that grouping. You know, it's um, I will say before I came and worked at the, the Seneca Park Zoo. So I was a keeper there for a couple of years. Um, I really could not answer that question. Mm -hmm. I, I, that was a very hard question. I, I had animals that I didn't like was an easier question. Well, I was going to do that um, one first. I, I, made, I was going to wrap up with that one probably towards the end. So. Uh, but since I started in the zoo and Tina Festival loved this, uh, the, the, it was the rhino keeper there. Uh, mm. it, it, 
build a, the white rhino there is absolutely phenomenal. Uh, it's my favorite thing in the zoo. Right there. Yeah. I adore rhinos. They are just like out of time animals. They're yeah, so... they're they're like a cross between a dinosaur and a Labrador retriever. Man, they are <laughs> they are really by far the coolest animal I've ever worked with. He seems very chill for a giant rhino. He seems like yeah, the, the different species are a little bit different. You I get over imagine. into the Sumatrans and some of the other ones, and they're they're pretty sketchy. Yeah, I've never. Um, but, I, I always heard bad, like you know, wor- worrying about rhinos. I mean, short-sighted. They you know seem like primitive, sort of like you're just going to run you over. But, yeah, no, yeah. they're they're really uh, they're a lot more like a dog in behaviors. They they <laughs> like the the like you to go up and scratch them, you know, and, and uh, there's something something. Now else. they uh they have what three toes? Are they what's their structure in their feet? I mean, it's, it's unique. Yeah, right? so they're ungulates. So yeah. they're a hoofed animal. So nice. they're related to to pigs and horses and all that stuff. Oh, nice. Actually, I, I should have known that because I think last time I was in there, a seven year old was telling me that all about <laughs> it. Standing there, he was giving me the whole rundown. It was very very amazing, very awesome. Um, so uh. Now the we can go into the uh, what animals don't you like? Let's just tie well, it that's, there it's now. usually a personal uh, experience. Understandable. <laughs> yeah. So I'm not a big fan of chimps. Mm. Um, a little bit too intelligent to have, you know, and and a little bit too mean. They tend to be like humans without the frontal cortex, so they don't oh, have yeah. good decision making. Uh, you know, don't want to rip that person's head off. No, I'll just do it anyways. <laughs> um, now, ostriches. I, I heard a story about ostrich <laughs> with you. I, I had your your pretty powerful legs. I hear. Right? Yes, yes, is. yes. I uh, got put in the hospital by one years ago in my uh, first or second year working in a zoo. I think first year probably. Oh so. my gosh! So uh, are they are they tastier now? Now you don't like them? <laughs> nah, you know what? I haven't had one. I've I've had an egg before, which very impressive eggs. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> like those in uh, emu. Emu have the green eggs, I believe. That's what like, uh, like Yes, emu are green, yeah, and then yeah. there's rias, which are white. Oh, wow. Oh, amazing, amazing. Making me think back years now. <laughs> <laughs> it can't be too many years. You're only, you're only 24 years right, old, right? right. Yeah. Youthful, youthful man. Um, uh, but we were talking about uh, the zoos, uh, why they exist, and uh, you were listening to Mind of Magnus on uh, WFZ, WFR, uh, I'll try one more time, WRFZLP Rochester, uh, rochesterfreeradio.com. Um, so we were chatting with Tom Snyder, a, an amazing uh, scientific mind here at Rochester, New York. Uh, he works, he's a member of the Zoo Society and um, is making big changes here in the city and helping people realize uh, just how impressive our, our, the biodiversity we have here and what our zoos offer our community. Um, if you haven't checked out uh, the Seneca Park Zoo, uh, please do so. Go up and check that out. You will see, uh, we're just talking about a rhino that is amazing. We have a hyena that I think just wants a couch and uh, Netflix, I think. Yeah. He seems very chill. He's, he's getting an advanced age, so yeah, he's, yeah. he's in his retirement years. <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm impressed by that, that hyena. Uh, and just the animals we have in general there. Uh, we recently had uh, some births, I was hearing, what we had. Yeah, yeah we had sea lion birth. Nice. Um, so we just had that. We have the only Bornean orangutans in New York. That's uh, amazing. We have the only African elephants in New York. So there's there's some stuff there that nobody else has around. That's awesome, area. awesome. Uh, and uh, we, we were talking about excitement, how kids are, everything else, and uh, zoos being kind of the uh, the interface for community and, and understanding of science and stuff. Um, but what other methods do you think the zoo can be doing to help bring the community into it? I mean, are we, there's events coming up soon. Uh this year, I think, uh, that we're going to be talking about, too. But in your idea, you were talking about how art, you know, your understanding of art and how it helped science uh, 
do you, do you believe the zoo is going to be doing something similar? Right? Yeah, right. yeah. You know, we're we're going to continue with uh, one cubic foot in all of our conservation focal regions. Mm-hmm. Uh, so we have like Tanzania, Borneo. Um, we have some different areas like that that we're going to do one cubic foot. Uh, we have programs called awareness days mm-hmm. where we have different activities that are free for everybody that comes into the zoo. Uh, that pays admission, and uh, one of those is is we're going to be working with you on on art at the zoo in in uh, late September. Looking forward to that. Yeah, yeah. got to plug um, ourselves here. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So <laughs> uh, you know, to be honest with you, I'm really looking forward to that event because we're we're really hybridizing things. Where in the past, you know, you you go to learn about the animals on site. Uh, this event is going to have some tutorials and and some of your friends, some of your artist friends there, mm-hmm. teaching people how to very quickly you know some some fundamental drawings and and we're gonna try to do some observational skills and drawings on site so that should be a very interesting event i'm very happy to be part of this scenario i'm fortunate enough to be part of group uh dudes night out the dno team we have here and they're full which has surprisingly a a number of women on it oh yeah yeah, yeah, i thought (laughs) we started with the the dudes started and within six months we had women on it because like Dudes, dudes, it's more of a mindset, the dude mindset, really. And uh, luckily, we have a lot of science loving just people. Uh, the like, we have Matt Roberts wanting to be helping out, and, and Megan Murphy, and uh, Gia, a bunch of a bunch of artists. We can we'll be posting more about it on my website, and uh, the the zoo will be posting about it. The yep. so, um, but one of the things I love about this concept of bringing artists in is if. Artists are great at you know dissecting visually you know the, the the structure of an animal and one of the things that you always you mentioned to me recently too is about a lot of times structure of an animal the purpose of it a lot of times is just for maybe make sex or something else yeah. it's very simplistic I always thought I pointed that out yeah. to you <laughs> <laughs> um, but it, it's great to have an artist eye to help you know show what an animal structure is to understand animal structure you understand what it does in its environment sure. and uh having an artist eye to help you with it you know you don't have to be an artist to appreciate an artist doing a sketch of it uh, yeah, i mean look at the the caves of like let's go caves everything else the, sh- the, the shape of animals everything else is one of our first forms of art is how you know, and storytelling nature. as well you yeah know, so exactly uh, so that'll be happening uh, September 25th, 25th, I think, yeah. Sunday, yeah. Yeah, so uh, definitely check that one out. We'll have a bunch of different uh, stations there talking about different animals, you know, and it'll be a great time. I'm looking forward to it, and I hope others will join us for that one as well. Um, but other uh, connections to the uh, arts in, in Rochester, how's the zoo going to be? Other ideas? We'll, we'll be doing um, aragami again this year. Nice. Uh, I'm not going to give away the uh, the theme, but it, it should be very interesting, and I you know, last year was our first year that, that we did that. And that mm-hmm. was, what, five five stories, uh, representation of the lower falls and balloons. I think there was 40,000 compostable latex balloons that we used. Uh, definitely um, check out, uh, I know, Aragami, uh, Kelly uh, uh, Kelly and Larry, they have on their website. Definitely check that out. It is, it's amazing to see what's created in balloons. I will tell you, I was, uh, I was surprised. Uh, I went into that first meeting, and I was a little bit closed-minded, uh, you know, when I heard that they were going to do balloons. And uh, then you see the word. And it's it's really phenomenal. And actually, the YMCA took the balloons and composted them, so it became a Urban Core Youth Center uh, lesson with the balloons. So that it's a really amazing. good story. Yeah, people don't realize the balloons are, are nat- they're they're created in a natural process. Yeah, natural you know? latex. Yeah, yeah, it's not like something that's a man-made chemical coming out of the ground. And, that's, yeah. and, and they, uh, Kelly and Larry, were very good about making sure that that was uh, at the forefront. You know, so mm-hmm. it was sustainable latex that came in. Yeah, that's what the big thing I was going to mention that it's all sustainable latex. Now, like the you know, the balloons you get at like the dollar store kind of thing. Right. They were the hand. You know, children are making these little balloons for you. Uh, but they, from from the from the start to the end of this process, there was compassion, understanding, and the end result turned out 
stunning. I, I was, and they're great. Larry and Kelly have a way of making like even balloons. You're expecting like the old like you know balloon dog yeah. kind of thing for balloon. They do sculptures, and they even have these little hidden things in there. You're walking around, you can go up and down those stairs and see something different every time. Yeah, and they were uh, they were a surprise to me, a pleasant surprise. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, because I came in and and was the well, it shouldn't be this color, it should be this and this and this. You know, and <laughs> and uh, kind of the stickler on some stuff, and they embraced that, and not only embraced it, but told us if we did it again next year. You know, to come in earlier so we could really make sure that we that we nail everything and, and That's get awesome. it the right way. So it'd be awesome because I know they have a new space there just they just got going yeah. on there. So it's gonna be I can't wait to have that. Is there a date we can be or uh, I, I think it's gonna be the same as last year, but I'm not, okay, I'm not same sure. Thing. So it's, yeah. I figured. That's awesome. Uh, well I'm very happy to hear that. I love those two. They're my some of my favorite people in Rochester. Very, very talented. Uh, I mean, how often do you get the chances, hey, have a, a friend of yours that does balloon art <laughs> yeah. and it's internationally like, known internationally, as well. Yeah, <laughs> he, he had world records, I think. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, yeah. So, the first, go oh, so we'll be doing Rocco possibly again as well. So we're we're looking for a for a venue, and nice. and I believe that Rocco is going to do it, but we're still yeah. Speaking. Rocco, if you're listening, please do that again. I I enjoyed that show, and I mentioned to you during the show that the the it was placed in that cube room. Mm-hmm. Everything else. So we're looking at these photos of the of the one cubic creatures that crawled, walked, or stumbled through that cube during the 24 hour period in this cube structure, and little notes about it and it was just stunning to watch uh the the colors you found in animals i i was totally taken away now how many um how many invasive species do we think we had um in there? I believe, percentage, I yeah I, I don't have an exact number i think there was like seven or eight uh, mm-hmm. all together you know there were zebra mussels uh red ear slider there was an amphipod that was there was a leaf hopper uh hmm. that was invasive now is that the uh, one that was more colorful than the other one no was... actually the the um the candy stripe leaf hopper is native which was the red yes, and green the, one. I, that's one i thought um yay the... for us for having good colors <laughs> yeah like... yeah you know oddly enough uh when we we're in madagascar we found the one that was almost identical except for where the green was it was blue really uh, yeah so it was that was kind of interesting is, uh, is it uh Convergent evolution, or is that this, is that same same sort of species? Yeah, I, I don't really know yeah. without looking at it more at this okay. point. But you know, I mean, it it's leaf hoppers. There's a ton of those on the planet. Gotcha, so, gotcha. Uh, um, so there was those the zebra mussels, as I said. There, uh, um, and and one of the things that was interesting about the zebra mussels is um, while let's see, February we had a, another Smithsonian scientist come up and do some. Uh, um, work with our uh, staff on being a naturalist. Mm-hmm. So we went up to uh, Lake Ontario and looked, and we had some Arctic seabirds that had come down um, and were overwintering that normally don't come this far south, uh, and mm. they were feeding on the zebra mussels. Really? So while it's invasive and it's got a lot of really kind of bad connotations with it, uh, it became a food source for some Arctic birds that normally don't stop this far south. Now, are they um, not moving? Or will they be more likely coming back to this area because of global pattern changing? And yeah, stuff? you know, it's everything's changing all the time, anyways. Yeah, yeah, you yeah. know, so uh, with a food source and, and shelter and water and, and the temperature that they need, then chances are it'll come back. Gotcha. Now we, I mean, nature has had some level of stability for for countless years. So, uh, are you trying to rush to catch up to study it now? Are you trying to? make a better place for a future now or is this all the above whatever we can do i mean well you know i think it's it, it's it's our job as a zoo uh to lead in mm-hmm. that respect um you know so so you you put as many people as you can in that job or as that staff that have a passion for it mm-hmm. uh you know that don't know hours that, that are working at 5 a.m on the 4th of july you know because <laughs> they love doing it uh and, and that's you, <laughs> tom by the way you can figure that one out uh you know so so you you really want to 
do as much as you can. Um, but you have to be cognizant that sometimes just running out there and doing something, you can do just as much damage. Mm-hmm. You know, so um, the things like DNA barcoding are are great because you can you can catalog. You know, we cataloged in Madagascar. We cataloged 520 uh, different animals in in about two weeks. Um, wow. You know, sometimes it takes two or three years to describe a new species. Mm-hmm. Uh, we can identify that it's new almost within weeks you know um then it becomes a different process but but the more of that baseline data it's it's uh really surprising to me how little baseline data we have on any area Mm. let alone our own you know um going out and doing two or three surveys per year throughout the river doesn't really give you a good picture you really need to you know have a bunch of people out looking and that's that's the wonders of citizen science you know, and, and, and this kind of new renaissance uh, for informal science that's that hopefully, you know, we're working to be a leader locally. in. so we really want to bring that to Rochester. That's amazing. So uh, with the app again, we were talking about iNaturalist is one of them. Um, nice. Another one that, that's phenomenal that I'll, that I'll throw out there is yardmap.org, which is a, something through uh, Cornell University Board. Uh, um, lab of ornithology mm. uh, and you essentially uh, just map your yard uh, over top of a google earth layer put down what soil what plants you have there wow. uh, then you can tie in some e-bird you know whenever you see a bird it goes right on there uh, we're doing it with our butterfly beltway program where we're uh, mapping out all of our our gardens that we're putting in mm-hmm. and then you can go and um, you know say what's there and it ties it to that actual property that is amazing uh, yeah it's, it's, you know, we have the people, we have the devices. We're Absolutely. in the future now. Why Absolutely. not utilize this? Yeah. Uh, it definitely feels like we are becoming a, a renaissance sort of culture. We're having art, science, and the intelligence of the general, per, the average person seems to be finally catching up with, I'm happy with, you know, there, there are people there that are really making a difference. Um, so do you feel that our, our future looking good for ourselves? I mean, you see Yeah, that. you know, it's, uh, it's a lot like when the, the printing press was developed and, and books became accessible. Mm-hmm. Uh, the Internet, you know, 10 years ago wasn't, still wasn't very accessible to people. Now it's, I don't even know how, what the percentages of people have smartphones. I think it's like 70%. I believe it. You know, it's something crazy like that. So uh, when you have this amazing tool in your hands, uh, what you can do is endless, you know. So now if I happen to capture an interesting animal, would they uh, then come back to me to be like, hey, to learn more about it? Would they be? Yeah, the, the, the cool thing about INAT is, or iNaturalist is that you don't need to know what it is. Mm-hmm. You know, so if you come up on a grub on the ground, you take a picture of it, and then tag it for needing ID, and there's a whole slew of, of crowdsourced scientists that will come on and, and say, oh, that's this, that's this, that's this. Mm-hmm. Uh, then everybody goes down the line and agrees or disagrees. The more people that agree, it kind of bubbles up into a research grade. So awesome. it even crowdsources the ID of the animal. Oh, that's amazing. So it seems like the uh, the, the more people you have uh, you know, for the source, the more likely you have the right answer. So yeah, the idea yeah. is uh, you know, keep putting, uh, putting stuff up there. Uh, now, do you also, are you one of the people that help you know, vote on the animal. Yeah, yeah. yeah. When I when I have time, I go on every. There's really not a whole lot of users here in Rochester yet. Mm-hmm. Um, there's a few, and and most of that stuff, you know, there's not a lot of observations. But when they do go up, there's there's a core group of people around this area that that still do that. So awesome. uh, chances are you'll get get help with it if you don't know where it is. Oh, nice. So uh, what links? I I want to make sure everyone here can help make things happen for you. So what links should my listeners know about? SenecaParkZoo.org. We just rebuilt the website and have nice. a whole bunch of new stuff on. 
on it. And uh, they have various other so- social media outlets too. I think they have Twitter, yeah, yeah, they we're have on, Instagram. I don't I think, think we're on Snapchat. But. No. <laughs> <laughs> I would love to have an orangutan on a Snapchat. I, I like think I think we're uh, gearing that up so you can put some filters and stuff on it while you're at the zoo. That's awesome. Uh, yeah, but there's Facebook, there's Twitter. Um, I run the the conserve Twitter, mm-hmm. uh, which is slowly starting to build. But uh, awesome. um, yeah, that's more of just like the conservation data and what we're doing in the field. In Beautiful. Addition, so. That is amazing. Now, uh, and if uh, if a wealthy person is listening right now, they can donate money to to your cro- your cause, right? Uh, so all the millionaire listeners out there at the Rochester Free <laughs> Radio, please please give some money to the Zoo Society. Make sure things are happening. Um, so I just want to thank you for having you on. We have some minutes left, but I want to get this out of the way that I'm a, such a science geek that when you message me about like, hey, I love to come on the show, I'm like, yes, you need to come on right now. <laughs> Um, yeah, we had like two days lead or three days lead. So. <laughs> <laughs> uh, this has been a great experience. Um, I have to say again that the one cubic foot uh, if images are stunning. Go check them out. Go to the zoo. Uh, uh, you can buy them there. Just even looking at them online, share, just share the information of this. Needs this needs to be known more, um, and just also to be impressed with what we have going on in Rochester. The river um, we have here is, is a beautiful river in the first place, and I'm happy to hear that we are not red, you know, red warning bells going off about things. We're having animals living there, diversity is happening. Um, is there uh, some tips or tricks we should know about for dealing with the, you know, dealing with water? Well, you know, you know I, I'm, one of the things that comes to mind is, is not a tip or trick, but if you do go on the website and look uh, on our volunteer page, mm-hmm. uh, we're doing a lot more organization of some offsite stuff. So we're doing river cleanups. We're um, you know, doing some pollution cleanups. We're doing invasive species cleanups. Hmm. Uh, so water chestnut and some of those other things that we do in conjunction with U.S. Fish and Wildlife. If you go on the website and sign up and you're interested in just going out and having a fun day of pulling weeds on a kayak, <laughs> then uh, then we're there. That sounds actually pretty darn good. Yeah. I know we recently, you recently had one posted, uh, and uh, I'm looking forward to the next one to helping out. So I always, always seem to be happy when I'm out of town, which is the natural <laughs> way of everything happens in the city. Um, we're going to be wrapping up here in a bit. I want to Tom, uh, thank Tom Snyder for being here, biology in Rochester, and uh, what he's bringing to the uh, the table globally. You know, he just got back from Madagascar. Are you going any other large trips, do you know, or fingers um, crossed? Not to knock on Well, you know, we're, we're, we should be going back to Madagascar in November of 2017, so we can mm-hmm. do a compare and contrast. Uh, this trip was um, during the winter, mm-hmm. so we want to do during the summer. Oh, uh, nice. So we can compare nice. and contrast. That'd be, I'm, hopefully, you're, you're on this trip, right? I imagine. Oh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> you're hiding in the luggage if you can. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it so. doesn't matter. I'll find a way. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm th- there in spirit. Um, uh, now, do you have uh, any personal, like uh, Instagram or Twitter, we can follow on to see follow your adventures or just focus on the zoo? and? Yeah, the, the zoo's conserve is SPC conserve. Okay. That's, that's cool. the Twitter that, that has uh, all the good stuff going Perfect. on. Perfect. Uh, so I want to thank everyone for uh, tuning in today for another Mind of Magnus, and I wish everyone is having a great 4th of July. Uh, the fireworks are going to be starting here in a little bit. Sun's going down, so I uh, hope everyone had a, a safe, happy, and an enjoyable 4th of July. Uh, I want to thank Tom for being here, and I want to thank everyone for listening. We'll be tuning in next week for another Mind of Magnus. Uh, and uh, if you want to follow more along with us, uh, rochesterfreeradio.com. And uh, I want to thank you all again for being here. And Tom, thank you so much. Uh, and thanks for making the, the, the world a better place here. Thanks so. for having me, man. I appreciate awesome. it. Again, you're listening to WRFZ LP Rochester, 106.3 FM. And uh, I uh, wish you all the best and safe uh, 4th of July. Thanks so much, folks. <laughs>